0: Welcome to the Parent University podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Well, good morning. Excited about starting a new series. I like Daniel, but I was pretty, I was done with Daniel by the time we were done, so I was ready for it to be over. Um... All right, so why are we going to go through this book? Let me ask, let me ask that. We haven't done actually most of the stuff we've done. We've never actually gone through a book of somebody else's material yet, and uh, so we're going to use this book as a jumping-off point. And this is uh, again the the book is called The Price of Privilege. This is what it looks like. Madeline Levine is the author. She is a PhD. She is a psychologist with 25 years, uh, lecturer, author, mother of three boys. And I even tried to, once to see if we could get her to come speak here, but she's pretty pricey, so I thought maybe you're stuck with me uh, going through the book instead of getting her. Um, but she, there, there are some things that we need to consider as we, as we talk about this book. Just if you buy the book and want to go through it as we, as we go through it here, I recommend that. I think that'd be very helpful for you. Um, some things that we need to talk about, though, as Rip, as Rip said... One is you don't, you don't have to be rich to go through this or think it doesn't apply. The things we're going to talk about, uh, I'm a youth pastor, okay? It's not necessarily super high on the uh, economic scale, and I feel like this book applies to me quite a bit. Um, I think just as Americans, we are wealthy. You know, We have privilege, and certainly we live and move and swim within the Johns Creek area And it's a very, very affluent area, Um, one of the most affluent areas in the whole country. So your kids are growing up in this environment, whether, and you and I as parents are influenced by it, whether we feel like we're wealthy or not. And we all kind of know that that's the way it works out is you always feel like somebody else is wealthy, no matter how much money you have. You always look at the person who's ahead of you and think, well, they have have a lot of money, we don't. And so everybody kind of does that. So this is going to apply to you, I can guarantee it regardless of whether you feel like you are affluent. Um, Madeline Levine, as far as I know, is not a believer. Uh, At least in reading her book, there's nothing to me that would suggest that she is. And so you may say, well, why are we going to go through a book of somebody who's not a believer? And I'll say this, that there there are common grace insights in this book that are just amazing. Like, I I love it that it's saying a lot of the same things, the same themes that you have heard me say over the years, if you've been coming to Parent You that long and she's going to hit a lot of these exact same themes, which just shows that all truth is God's truth, right? She's seeing these things. She doesn't even have a Christian worldview, but she is seeing a lot of the same stuff over and over again, and even comes to some of the same conclusions. And so I think that, um, that you will find it very interesting and really challenging as you read it. It's going to challenge you. And that's what I like to do as well, is give you things that I think if you read them, you will be challenge. That's, in fact, that's one of my goals, is not to tell you how to parent your kids. It's to make you think about what you're doing, right? That is one of my main goals, because I don't know what your children are like. I don't know what your family system is. And there are so many factors that go into parenting, the, the way your child is wired, uh, the, your family system dynamics, all these things that I can't possibly know. So you are the one who has to make those decisions. But my job is to constantly make you think about things you might not think about, So that you can make better choices as you're parenting. So, um, so she's going to do that. She's going to challenge you, um, and she is looking from an angle that I don't normally look at, and that is psychological health. That's the last thing uh, to really consider, um, or one of the last things is she is, as a psychologist, saying how what are healthy teenagers as they grow into healthy adults. She's very much looking at what's going on internally in their brain, and of course that's not a focus that. That I always, you know, take. I'm taking more of a spiritual or behavioral, right? We kind of say, "Hey, behaviorally, what's going on?" And we talk a lot about that in here. And so, what she's saying is, if this is going on behaviorally, what's going on in their mind? And I think that's really helpful for us as we talk about this. Uh, the reason, one of the other reasons that I'm excited is, again, she hits a lot of the same themes. And one of the main themes that she continually hits is her goal is the same as mine, and that is. She wants your kids, or all teenagers, she believes, is a main process when a kid goes through adolescence of them being autonomous, okay? And that is, if you've been in Parent you at all, or if you're new, my worldview and the way that I talk about parenting is, how do I work myself out of a job, right? The goal is, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, do your kids have what they need from you To be successful adults, and by that I mean Christian worldview, strong uh, understanding—are they going to be productive in the kingdom of God? So, our job—and we forget that sometimes—I feel like I forget it—is autonomy. Hey, push them out of the nest. How can I put them in position in situations where they are on their own? Okay, now we don't think about it like that a lot. We're constantly shaping, protecting, and doing all these things with our kids, but are we, how often are we really saying, how, is what I'm doing helping them achieve independence? And she very much hits that same thing. Uh, And she, she hits it from some different angles, and um, she's one of the few that I, that I've seen that really kind of nails down even this whole idea. I don't know, a lot of the reading I've done has been suggesting that students are in the adolescence now, up to age 25, are you aware of that? Now, when I say that, I think it's probably not unusual to you to hear that. Because when I, if I said, hey, I'm going to, you know, tell, let's bring up somebody who's 23, a lot of you in your mind will think, man, look at that kid up there, <laughs> right? If, if I said, hey, uh, a 23-year-old is going to take your kids and go drive across the country tomorrow, would you be excited about that? Would you feel good about that? Or would you go, ah, does a 23-year-old really... Are they mature enough to take my kid and go, you know? And so that just shows that even as we all get older, right, we consider older and older adult, young adults to be kids still, uh, even though when you were 23, you probably didn't feel like a kid. Um, so adolescence, if you go back and watch some movie about World War II, and you see these 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds going off to war, they seemed like men, or at least in the movies they seemed like men, right? Uh, and we go, wow, what is going on? What was happening back then that was creating men by 18 that now it's 25 and beyond, right? Let's face it. A lot of people I know, I've got lots of friends who are up in their 50s, and they have their young adult kids living at home uh, until they're in their 30s, right? Is a very normal thing in our society right now. And they're still financially taking care of their 30-year-old kids and, and things like that. And so... Are we contributing to this? And I think that we are. And I think this whole issue of autonomy is is one of those things that's causing it. We're not putting our kids in enough situations where they have to swim on their own. And when they do that, they develop the skills they need to be on their own, and they grow up faster. Um, We know this if you even just take anecdotal evidence and think of a kid who uh, has had a rough childhood. Cammy, um, my wife, for example, she, her mom, and a lot of you know her story, her mom had a brain aneurysm when she was 12. Her parents were divorced. Cammy matured extremely fast. She had to grow up fast because she was on her own in a lot of ways uh, at a very early age, and so it helped her to grow up quickly, okay? Uh, the idea and the fact that we are helicopter parents, that's another term we're going to talk a lot about as we go through this, can contribute to our kids not growing up. Does anybody know what? Have you? Has anyone never heard that term, helicopter parent, or some of you may be new to that term? The idea of a helicopter parent is a parent who hovers, okay, and they are—they're—they're they're not very far from their child at any moment, and and can intervene. Now you may feel like, well, I don't do that. I, my kids are far from me all the time, but see, they're not ever far from us anymore. And why is that? Cell phone. Think about it. When we were growing up, you remember you had to, you know, you guys remember that. The, I mean, if you didn't have change for the phone, I mean, we were just, we were out there. If you were on your own, if you were at the mall, you, you know, there was no way to get a hold of your parents unless you found some change or something. And then if you called their business or their house, there was a really good chance you wouldn't get them, right? I mean, I remember when answering machines first started gaining in. And we were like, oh, this! what an amazing thing that I can actually find out who called me. Okay, even hours later, that was a huge deal. Okay, I know probably my interns are in here laughing somewhere. They're just like, what? So we can hover and we can enter into constantly. And we, we like that too. We like to be needed. We want to be close to our kids. There are things that are great about that. Okay, I don't want to say and act like that's all evil. But what I am saying is there are unintended consequences when we do this, that we are not uh, allowing our kids and giving them the space to do that, to grow up. Um, And what Levine is going to talk about in this book, she's going to describe this in psychological terms as the goal is for your child and my child to develop a healthy sense of self. A healthy sense of self. Now, in psychological terms, what does that mean if she does she never actually def- she has like a whole chapter on it, but she never gives you like a simple little definition so i 'm going to give you some ideas of what that looks like and you'll, you'll i think you 'll understand where, where she 's going A sense of self is an awareness and delight in one 's own uniqueness okay and I think she 's talking about a sense of self psychologically and I am telling you, this is happening for sure in adolescence. I mean, primarily, I think, in junior high is where this is, this is taking place. That's one of the reasons I think that seventh and eighth grade, ninth grade, those can be some of the most difficult parenting years because your child is, like, internalizing a ton. They're not sharing a lot with you uh, often because they're, just, they're trying to figure out, who are they? Who are they? And psychologically, they're developing this. What do I think? And that's the first time, right, that you start to experience, well, not maybe not with all of you, but I'm saying, uh, if you have even a pretty compliant child, suddenly you're like, who gave you an opinion, you know, right? They start to share ideas and thoughts they have, and they're different from you, and that's them establishing who they are. And this is me, and I, no, I don't like that, or no, I don't want to go to church, or no, I don't, what, you know, whatever it is, suddenly they, they start to change as they develop this sense of self. And we can feel threatened in that, right? Because we really like to control things. We like to control our environment. So there is an awareness or delight in their own uniqueness. They are discovering, hey, I'm different. I'm special. Is that a biblical theme? Yeah. Did God make us unique? Yes, he did. It's a fantastic thing. It's something that our kids do have to discover. And we can even bring a biblical world and life view into that as they do that. A sense of lovability, she says. I think that is an amazing concept or idea just that idea of does your child as they start to develop who they are do they feel loved do they feel like they are lovable not do they feel love but do they have value right that's what they're searching for in that deep innermost need do they have they developed their own thoughts and opinions their own likes and dislikes do they think of themselves and develop their own point of view and this is what is happening internally in their minds as they come up with this sense of self. And then finally, when they have that healthy sense of self, they have a personal home base and an internal compass that helps them navigate through life. Okay, now think about that. That is, and, and where she, what she'll do in this book is she juxtaposes that with external, uh, are you an internally coming up with strength and, and, uh, and, and discovering who you are and forming opinions, or are you letting an external force give you those opinions? See, that's one of the things that's very dangerous for us as parents. If our kids will ask us, we are glad to give them our opinion about everything, right? And we're glad to form their opinion about everything. And yet there are times when at some, at some point they have to form the opinion themselves, You know, we need to, again, Cami has said this so many times too, is are we using periods when we talk to them or question marks? If you think about it, that really nails a lot of trying to get them to develop. Hey, oh, you're experiencing this problem, and as a guy, I want to come in and go, well, this is what you need to do, boom, 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 right? You know, I got my plan, here's my three steps, Well, well, you just need to, rather than, well, what do you think you need to do about that? oh, wait, you're putting that on me? Yes, I'm asking you to problem solve. I'm asking you, what do you think about that? Where where are you coming uh, at this? You know, how are you coming at this? Um, And so doing that is going to help them as they navigate when we're not there, when we're not answering the phone, when we're not available. Um, Now, how is this formed? How is this idea formed? And this is a child has to have space they need physical and psychological space to help them in which, in which they can move and in which they can make decisions. Um, and she has this quote on page 64 that says, at the intersection of a child's inborn predispositions and a parent's loving acceptance, a sense of self takes form and flourishes. And I think we could spend some time just unpacking that sentence. Let me say it again. She says, at the intersection of a child's inborn predispositions, so how they're hardwired, right? We know a lot of the way your child is, is just hardwired in. How their inborn predispositions are, and then a parent's loving acceptance. So as we draw out who they really are and then, and then show acceptance to that, when we are constantly drawing out who they are and then we're like, ah, but that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, you can see they're, they're going to say, well, then I'm the way that I think is wrong, and therefore I won't think, I'll wait for you to tell me what to think. For at least a child who wants to please will go on that route, okay? And so I think that's just very, uh, it's, it gives us a lot of things that we can th- think about. And we have talked about these in other ways, and these are some uh, wonderful, you know, in-depth slides that I've done before that kind of help us to work on this. Um, with a, one of the things that's scary to us, right, is if you have your kids in a controlled environment when they're little, right, we control everything about what they're exposed to, and one of the things that's scary to us is when they interact with a non-Christian kid, right? So you've got a Christian kid interacting with a non-Christian right there, okay, in that, in that slide. Now, when that interaction takes place, the, the arrows are going both ways. Why are the arrows going both ways? Because our kid has the ability to influence others, Right? But the other scary thing is the, the world or that other child has ability to influence us. Uh, so often, why do we create all these Christian environments for our kids to swim in, right? We, a lot of us choose Christian school because we don't really want that to happen. I'm not saying that's the only reason. I have three of my kids in Christian education. I think it's great. Or we might homeschool because we don't want that to happen. There's lots of reasons to homeschool. That may not be why you're doing it. I'm just saying is one of the reasons is we're saying, I don't want my child to interact with a non-Christian, okay? And what I'm saying is, as our kids interact with the world, they, de- they have to have this internal strength. They have to know who they are. They are influenced. They're developing this all the time. And this is happening when they interact with other people. Um, as, you know, as they're interacting, This and this is inhibited by helicopter parenting because if the, if the parent is there, this interaction doesn't usually happen, right? Again, I was thinking about when I was little. Now, now don't judge my parents, okay, when I say that, because it was a different time, right? I grew up in the 70s uh, when I was really little, and I think about, like, I lived part of my life in Colorado and very, you know, up in the Rocky Mountains, and I mean, I was like out by myself in the woods a mile from home when I was six. Six. Okay, now you think about that. I was six, and I was away running through the woods. Um, I can remember climbing up in my treehouse because there was a pack of wild dogs that was under my treehouse, and me and my buddy were up there, and we were kind of trapped and waiting for them to leave. And I was just like, oh, you know, the wild dog pack's here, and I'm up in the treehouse. Like, we would never let our kids do that now. Like, what in the world were my parents thinking? Okay? I think about that, and I would get on my bike, and I would go, and then we moved to Tennessee, and I grew up the rest of my teenage you know young adult life or teenage years in Tennessee and my best friend I remember every day he would we I walked to school from the third grade on and it was about five or six blocks by myself and I would get on my bike with my best friend after school we'd go to my house eat a snack and then we'd ride like 10 or 12 blocks to his house so that was probably what a mile mile and a half to his house and then we would from there go who knows where I mean all over town I bragged to my mom once that I knew the whole town, we lived in like the back of my hand. And it was a small town, 20,000 people, but I was miles from home. I mean, I was getting into all kinds of stuff. And I was developing and I had space, kind of this space we're talking about, right? It, again, when I interacted with something and something came up, I didn't call my mom. I had to decide because my mom wasn't there. There was no one available when I was miles from home on my bike. Yeah, if, if we ran into, if a bully came up, you know, nothing. I had no way to talk to my parents all the time. And a lot of you probably can relate to that. You probably didn't either. And you were just growing and developing, and, and this was happening, and you weren't even thinking about it. And that doesn't happen now because we are attached to our kids by the world's longest umbilical cord called the cell phone. And because of that, it's keeping, I think, our kids from developing. Um, the other picture that, that we have up here is, you know, the world, and we've used this other picture with the bunker. Um, you've got barriers that we put out, and the world can get in at our kids. And when their kids are little, right, we protect them from all kinds of things. You can't play with that person. You can't do this. But as they get older, we take the, we take the barriers away, and the world is able to get at our kids more. And they have to decide. They have to interact. When that happens, they have to make decisions. What do I do in this situation? And again, they have to have that space in order to do that, um, because all of these things are being formed in their mind, and they have to develop their own sense of who they are, how they view the world. Uh, even just this week, it was funny, Kami and I had a situation where my oldest daughter came in, and she was talking about her history class. And she was, they were talking about the Rockefellers and the, uh, the Carnegies and all those, and her teacher posed a question, should... Those, if you're super wealthy, should you have to give a huge portion of it away? And this just, and so she kind of shared that with us, and we, it just sparked a huge discussion for us, and it, we were a little bit shocked as our parents, as our kids are talking about their ideas. You know, well, do you give out of your excess, or do you give out of, you know, uh, all that you have, or just out of your excess, or what's their responsibility, or can the government force them to do that? Is that Okay. Well, you know, and we're watching them wrestle with this, and we're thinking, golly, there's a, you're kind of waiting, for, you know, in some ways, are they waiting for us to give the answer? But then when they share the answer, have we really discussed all these things? Have they, you know, but these are the opinions that are being formed. This is happening in their minds, and, you know, we want to enter into that, and yet give them space to develop what that looks like. Um, as, the, as these opinions are being Formed, what are your kids thinking? And this is where you and I have to interact. We have to have those dates. We have to uh, be able to speak into that as they constantly move in and out. Um, let me see if I have time for this. Well, let me. I want to go to the biblical uh, idea before I I read this other illustration in First Samuel. We've talked about this before, but First Samuel 17, starting in verse 33. And this um, we talked about this several months ago. Um, This is about King David right before he went into battle with Goliath, okay? And here's what he says, and many of you will remember this part of the story. Um, So Saul brings David in front of him, and he's trying to say, hey, are you really up to go fight against Goliath? And that's, that's where we pick up. Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his pouch. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, I love this story, I love what it says, but it's terrifying in a lot of ways, okay? So you're David's father. We know David was out with the sheep, and he's telling this story, I've killed lions and bears, right? That, that is unbelievable, if you think about it, because David is probably between 16 and 20 at this point in time. So how old was he when he killed his first lion? Or his first bear, and what did that look like? You know, I I can think probably. I mean, this just makes sense if we get under the text and think about it. His father probably, when he was little, said, "Go out with your brothers," right? And he had six older brothers, so he probably went out with his brothers when he was when he was younger than that. When he was eleven or twelve or nine, who knows? And he went out with them and saw them. And what did they use? They used a sling and stones. He probably practiced with those things. They used spears back then. They had a rod or a staff. A staff was like the shepherd's crook that we think of, right? And a rod was more like uh, a club, okay? They didn't have even like swords were actually very rare uh, back then. Because uh, I know if you read through First and Second Samuel, Saul like had a sword and it was like a big deal because nobody had one because they were so expensive. And uh, that whole idea of working with metal was new. So that was not a normal thing. So, I mean, a spear... Or a club. Now, if I said to you tomorrow, and you're a grown man or woman and said, hey, go fight, go kill a lion with a spear, I would be terrified. Okay, I can't even imagine, or worse, with a sling. Okay, I can't imagine what that would be like. And yet, Jesse said to his son, hey, you're 15, you go watch the sheep. Yeah, some lions are going to come. Sure, some bears are going to come, but you'll take care of them. I mean, it says he grabbed him by the beard. Now what can that mean? That can only mean a few things. Like a bear doesn't really have a beard that I've ever seen. So is he talking about the mane of a lion? Like a lion is attacking him and he grabs him by the mane and like, you know, (laughs) and clubbing him or stabbing him. I can't even imagine these things. Okay. I would say in David's time, they grew up a lot sooner than 25. Right. I think it's safe to say that. Okay. So we go from there to where we are and The most important part of this, okay, not only what David does, and and we know that he grew, it says actually in the previous chapter, when David was initially called, somebody's describing David, and he says, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, that's the harp, a man of valor, a man of war, okay, prudent of speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Okay, so he's like 16 years old, and that's how he's described. He's already being described as a man of war at 16. Or 17. That's pretty impressive, okay? That he has been put in these situations, though, is what I'm trying to say, where he has to grow up. He has to develop. He is given space to do this. He didn't do this by being and having all the answers given to him. He is put there. But the most important part of that is verse 37 David said to Saul, The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. See, that is my biggest fear as a parent. Am I never letting my kids be put in situations where they have to deal with hard things because they don't look to the Lord to deliver them when they experience hard things, they look to me. That's what's difficult. And that is the point of this book. Okay, one of the points of this book is those of us who have means have the means to deliver our kids. They don't have to rely on the Lord. We can usually take care of the problems that they face, right? We can usually deliver them from the situation because of just where we are and where we live, and and we have lots of resources, which is a great thing. There are good things about resources. One thing, if you read this book, you're not going to be guilted in. She does not say that money is the problem, okay? Money is not the issue here. It is the culture of, that we live in that, of bailing out our kids and doing for them. That's the problem. We just have more means to do that, It's not that, that having money in and of itself has any uh, negative value. But I want my kids to say, I can look back at this difficult time I experienced and the Lord delivered me. Can your kids say that now? Can they think of something okay, where the Lord met them and really got them through a hard, a hard patch? And that's an interesting conversation you might have around lunch today, right? And say, hey, tell me, what, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to experience? And how, how, do you, how did you get through it? How, how, what happened? That might be an interesting thing to go through and talk about. Um, so we want independence for our kids, but what we want more than that, and this is, you're not going to get from this book, is dependence on the Lord right? Independence from us, but dependence on God. That's really what we're after as we, as we go through this. Um, Cammie's going to come up and speak. I want to just close with this idea. Right now, we're teaching uh, my daughter, Tirza, to drive. She's 16, and she's, it's interesting how she seems to be grabbing the nest with both hands uh, uh, as we try to push her out at times. And have you, I don't know how many of you have, have helped teach your kids to drive. How many of you have done that before, at least some? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. It's terrifying, okay? Like, you pretty much feel like you're taking your life into your own hands every time you get in the car, you know? And you're like, here's the keys, honey, and then you're just like, you know. Uh, it's It's like, it's absolutely terrifying. And, again, my child currently doesn't really, is not that interested and doesn't want to do it. It doesn't bring out the best in me, okay? Like, one time... We, we almost died, and I was like pounding on the, on the dashboard like, when I say stop, what does that mean? And I'm just like totally uncharacteristic of me, but I am like screaming and, you know, coming out of my skin. I am just, uh, I, you know, doesn't bring out the best in me at all, right, uh, in any way, shape, or form. And yet, if she does this, the end result is greater freedom and greater autonomy and the ability to help me more, right? I mean, if she can drive and all my kids, my other three kids' places, that's going to be awesome. At least in my head, it's going to be awesome. Uh, So yet, what if I don't teach her to drive, right? If I don't teach her to drive, I avoid all the conflict right now that we have from trying to get her to do it. I avoid that. I avoid the fear that I have of having to get in the car with her. Okay, I avoid that terrifying fear. I avoid uh, it increases my control because no, you can't go see that friend because I'm not going to take you there. Right? When if she can drive, she has a lot more freedom, a lot more control of her own environment. But yet, ultimately, if I do that, I create dependence on me. Right? If I don't let her drive, I don't encourage her, I don't make her do this. I'm creating a dependent child who is dependent on me for everything, everywhere she goes, everything she does. And that's not ultimately what I want to do. But this is what the teen years are like for us, right? We are, it's terrifying sometimes. It doesn't bring out the best in us. And we're scared. I think that's pretty normal as a parent as we go through this time. Okay, so uh, let me pray and uh, ask God. And again, this is just the introduction today. We're going to get into more details in the next uh, three months. So let me pray for Cammie. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for the common grace insights that we get from this book. And I ask you to continue to guide and direct us, Lord. It is terrifying, but we need to see our kids develop into who you created them to be. And so I pray as we go through this book that we would get those insights and uh, apply your word as well uh, to the things that we're learning. Uh, Give us grace and give us courage, Lord, as we raise our kids. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
1: Amen. Okay, I have to laugh because my my, um, strategy for when tears is driving is trivia crack. I'm not kidding. I just watch my phone and then it's not as scary because I don't know what's going on and how we almost die. (laughs) I don't know that that's as good for her or that I'm teaching very well, but um, I have a video. Um, First, I want to just introduce myself. I'm Cami Summers. I'm Jeff's wife and Um, I sat in Parent U for years and um, said, but this isn't what it looks like at our house. (laughs) And so I want to come up, and I'm kind of the reality dose. You know, I I love what he teaches, and I'm excited to share with you about my experience with the book um, today. But he always gives us a nugget, but I also want to say this is hard, and you're not alone if it's hard for you because... Um, I'm struggling as the mother of teens. Now I have two. I don't just have one. I used to talk just about tears, but now Jace is entering into the dark days. So I have two. So I want to start with this video. So give your eyes on the screen. Okay. The cocoon isn't pretty. It has rough edges. It's not a pretty color. And there's no way looking at a cocoon to tell what's going on underneath, right? Likewise, in the teen years, it's rough. And it's hard to know what's going on beneath the surface. And so we wonder, could God really do a miracle in the cocoon of my child's heart? And on my best days, I hope. And on my worst days, I doubt. And on all the other days, I pray (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Um, As a mother, the process is excruciating to watch Um, because I'm used to helping, right? Like my daughter's first steps were towards me, her first steps of independence. And when she fell, I would go catch her. And when she got hurt, I would comfort her. And these days are different because a lot of what's in this book says that my interference is more of a hindrance than a help. And as a mother, that's a hard thing to accept, right? Um, The whole process makes me think about the butterfly. And even though we watched this video, it in two minutes encapsulated hours and hours. You know, if you got bored watching it, It really takes hours and hours for the butterfly to get its wings. And that is significant because a butterfly, an average butterfly, only lives about a month. So when you think about the proportion of their life, hours is a lot proportionately of their life. And as I watch my daughter struggle to catch her wings, it's painful to watch. The thing about the butterfly is, and I don't know if you know this, but if you were to help the butterfly, if you were to cut the butterfly out of the cocoon, if you were to help it, does anybody know what happens? What happens? They never fly. They never fly. Because it's the process of emerging from the, butterf- the cocoon that builds the strength that enables them to be able to fly. And we have to acknowledge that the miracle that takes place in the cocoon is not complete until the butterfly spreads his wings and flies, and that's a process that no one can help him with. And help even actually takes away from their strength. I hate this book. I hate it. Jeff made me read it, and I'm not done yet and i still don't like it and i've started reading something else in defiance i admit um i hate it because it rubs me wrong i'm all about my kids being independent unless that's inconvenient or they're doing something stupid or you know fill in the blank you know i don't i don't like a lot of what she says and um and it makes me afraid. Am I doing this wrong? I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want her to live in my basement when she's 35. I want her to be independent. I want him to be independent. So, I'm reading this book begrudgingly, kind of like um a donkey's being pulled by my husband and the staff. So, I'm just full disclosure, um I appreciated what Jeff said today and I appreciate it. it's got, given me more handles to put on what I'm reading. And maybe I'll go back to it. <laughs> um, as I watch it all, it's hard because there's a struggle of knowing how much help is too much. I mean, in reality, they are immature. They do need us to speak into it. They need us. She, They need me to be their mama, right? That's the truth. But what is help that is not helpful? And I don't know the answer. And I'm a terrible coach. I would rather handle it myself than than stand by. Um, And so I wanted to share with you what happened over Christmas. Tears ahead, walking pneumonia, bummer, Um, and driver's ed, bummer. (laughs) So it wasn't a very restful Christmas break for us. And the fallout of that has not been pretty. In returning to school, she has to make up all the finals she missed, and she has a job, and she has tryouts for the play, and da-da-da-da-da. And so, you know, and we're standing back watching all of this. And the reality is nobody has time for pneumonia. I don't have it. Neither does she. And so the outpour of that is hard. It's hard consequences. It's saying no. It's studying when you should have already been done with all this. It's hard. So yesterday at our house, there were many tears as she looked over all the things she had to do and was completely overwhelmed. And what is my response as a mother? What I want to do is rush in and make it easier. I'll take care of your job while you're taking your finals. You don't have to worry about that. No, you don't have to clean your room. And no, the basement doesn't have to be done. And and all of those things that can make it easier for you, because that's what I want to do. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want it to be hard. That's the truth. But we've been talking a lot about all this stuff, and I know that's wrong, so I didn't do that. Instead, I listened. Another thing I'm not real great at, but I'm getting better at as the mother of a teenager. I listened, and I sympathized, and I agreed with her. It is hard. This is hard. Living in a broken world is hard. And I admitted, I'm overwhelmed some days. That's part of being a grown-up, being overwhelmed. And I tried to point her to Jesus, and maybe I did a good job, and maybe I didn't. I don't know. And then Jeff and I prayed over her. And I can tell you honestly at the end of it, I don't know that we handled it correctly. I really don't. There's no way to know. I don't know if she felt like we were for or against her or we didn't care or what. And that's the hard part, isn't it? I mean, not knowing. I wish I knew. She seems like she has so much on her little shoulders. And I hear what Jeff's saying, and I hear that she needs to bear the brunt of it and learn to depend on God. Not me and not her daddy. If her faith is ever going to have wings, I have to give it space to stretch. I know all our kids are in different places spiritually, and none of us really knows what's going on in the cocoons of our children's hearts. But today, the encouragement I want you to leave here today with is remember that it's God who makes the butterfly. No one else. Scientists can't even tell you what happens inside the cocoon, really, how that happens. God does it. And so let's just hold on to his promise that he is going to complete those things he begins. And let's pray that God will be our, til- our children's strength. I'm going to pray for you guys as you go today. Dear God, I just come before you. We come before you, and we just say this is hard. It is hard to not be our children's saviors, and yet the Savior we want them to see is you, and so I just pray that you would open our eyes to those opportunities we have to get out of the way, to listen and not speak, and to pray and watch you work. I know that you love our kids more than we do. And I just pray for each parent in here that you would grow our faith so that we can know that you are at work in the cocoons of our children's hearts. And help us to be quiet and listen for your quiet voice. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: All right, I do have just a few announcements. Um, one is our, our retreat, Solitude, is coming up now. Uh, that is a retreat that we have every February. Uh, we didn't do it last year. I say every February, and then I say we didn't do it last year. Um, the first time we haven't done it in a long time. We're, we're bringing it back this year, and that, that's a retreat. It's This is for high school, and what we do is get them to unplug, really, and they go out in the woods, and they it's just them and their Bible and a journal, and they spend some time alone with the Lord. And for a lot of students, sometimes they come back and give a testimony that's the first time they've ever been quiet for like two hours in their life, <laughs> except when they were asleep. So it's, uh, it's a great time. We try to just teach them that discipline of solitude and what does that look like? How do they get alone and hear the quiet voice of God? And so that's coming up. Um, we also have Early Bird Registration for Gold Rush Servant Team. Now, if you're new to Gold Rush or new to all this, the Servant Team is the group of students that actually puts Gold Rush on. They're the, the workforce, uh, the kids who are getting ready to invest, and actually they put on the conference. And so there's an Early Bird that's happening right now. Uh, all of this information is on the website um, So if you want to go ahead and register for that, and you can save a little bit of money. Then breakfast clubs, uh, we don't have them at every school, but at uh, many of our schools. And again, you can find that information on the website. They start this week. Uh, We were on our staff retreat last week, so we did not do them. But breakfast clubs are back in swing. And then our next parent university is February 1st. So I think that's Super Bowl Sunday. I know you'll be gearing up for that, but at least you'll be at church Sunday morning, right? So good time to start the day with Parent U, because we'll all lose our sanctification by the end of the night, all right? All right. No, no J-High announcements. Um, Be sure to check out there. We are going to be, we've got some blogs done on our Facebook page, and we have a Parent U Twitter as well, so uh, go ahead and check that out. And thanks for coming. Y'all have a great Sabbath. You've been listening to the Parent University podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at
1: www.perimeter.orgslash students for more information. Thank you.